0: And uh, this weekend, I want to speak about a numbering error. You know, the, uh, the last couple of uh, months, in fact, the last year and a half, we've been very, very obsessed with a particular number. And I've been so obsessed with the number, usually, even if I fall asleep early in the night, I'll wake up by about 11.30, 12 o'clock to see what is the number of community cases on a daily basis, okay? And we really are uh, seeing, uh, you know, the numbers stabilizing and we hope that things will get better. And I really believe this, that we are nearing the end of this. We are seeing a lot more light towards the tunnel, and let's bear with this, amen, and let's continue to stay uh, united. Let's not uh, let uh, vaccination, non-vaccination divide us, And uh, but let's continue to love one another, amen. But I want to talk about the numbering error because numbers are something that we are uh, often very preoccupied with. And the Bible actually records for us a whole array of numbers from the beginning in the book of Genesis all the way to the end in the book of Revelations. God took seven days to create the world. Eight persons were saved and preserved through the Ark of Noah. During the floods, Israel had 12 tribes. Gideon had 300 warriors. Jesus fed uh, 5,000 people, not counting the women and the children. On the day of Pentecost, there were 120 on the, in the upper room. And Revelation speaks about the 144,000 that go wherever the Lamb of God goes. Now, that's a lot of numbers that is being mentioned. But numbers in the Bible isn't just about counting digits, but there is a significance to the numbers that are mentioned. Four, for example, is the number of what is universal that's why we have four directions, north, south, east, west. Seven is the number of perfection or completion. Eight is the number of a new beginning. Ten is the number of the law. Twelve is the go- number for government. Thirteen for rebellion. Thirty-eight represents a number of going from fertility into a place of purpose. A hundred represents fruitfulness. A hundredfold Christian maturity. And so these numbers are important and these numbers speaks about something. But you know numbers are also so important that it literally pervades Every part of our lives, our economy is measured by a number—the GDP. You know, uh, we look at the Dow Jones, the Nikkei Index, the Nasdaq, amongst many other numbers that we are observing. In Singapore, our studying life in primary school uh, culminates in a three-digit number called the PSLE aggregate score. Many of us are looking forward to that. We have parents. Uh, if we have kids there. 12 years old who have just sat for PSLE. And then after that, when we go to, uh, to secondary school, you know, uh, how low a score that we obtain from our L1R4 L1R5 determines where we are going next. Again, this is jargon that most Singaporeans or, or exclusively Singaporeans would understand. If we want to study overseas, then we got to look at more numbers. Uh, our SET score, our GMAT score. And these are all numbers that we look at. When you start working, numbers continue to invade and pervade our lives. When we get into the job market, the first thing we look at is uh, our worth is it measured by a four digit number that we bring back every month or a five digit number we have sales targets to meet which is a number we've got hours we need to clock which is another number when we get married we were a th- we were a number 30 after marriage we reach a number 34 and i'm not talking about age i'm talking about waist size okay for all the men and numbers just seems to govern everything uh, in our lives through and through and today with social media you know it's all about numbers the number of likes the number of friends the number of followers the number of views Do you know that the most viewed video on YouTube today has almost 10 billion views? 10 billion views. And guess what the video is? Baby shot. Baby shaka, do doo da doo da doo or whatever you sing, okay? I mean, how can people watch this for 10 billion times? I don't understand this. And I think that this speaks, you know, about the world and the season and the era that we're living in where the most viewed things on YouTube are mostly senseless, pointless, and frivolous, amen? And so, shouldn't this help us understand a little about the futility of the numbers game that we're living in today? But numbers nonetheless are essential in our daily lives. You know, our obsession with numbers is not uh, always healthy. And so the Bible reflects this, that numbers are important, but there can also be a point when numbers becomes unhealthy for us. In the early chapters of the book of Genesis, we see this, that there are two groups of men, uh, what are called the sons of God and what are called the sons of men. It's interesting, those that, whose, who are listed as sons of God, their ages are recorded for us, numbered for us. But those who come from the line of Cain, their ages are not uh, told to us in the biblical account. And a straightforward interpretation of this is simply this, there are those whose ages are recorded. They live lives that actually were worth numbering. In other words, their lives counted for the kingdom of of God. And in the records of heaven, not, their lives are counted and numbered. But those who live their lives for themselves, heaven doesn't even bother to keep account of how long that they lived. But not all numbering in the Bible is approved by God. And that's what I want to focus on this weekend. I want to focus on an episode within the Record of Scriptures that tells us that, hey, this numbering has gone wrong. And that's why I've entitled the message today, A Numbering Error. And this account is found in two passages of Scripture, one in 1 Chronicles 21, and and then of course in 2 Samuel 24. And they are both accounts of the same event that happened, whereby David ordered for a census of the people to be taken. Now please note this, a census, taking of a census is not wrong. In fact, at various times in the Old Testament, censuses were taken as God gave command for them to be taken. A census was always to be ordered by the Lord and not ordered by the people. In fact, this is why we have a book in the Bible called the Book of Numbers, which is the fourth book in the Bible. And it is called the Book of Numbers because there's two censuses that were ordered by God. One at the start and one at the end of the Bible or or at the end of that book. And the start of it, they took a census when the children of Israel escaped and were delivered out of Egypt. Right, and that was the first census that's taken. 38 years later, when they are about to enter the promised land, God called for another census to be taken. But this particular census that I want to look at this weekend in 1 Chronicles 21 and 2 Samuel 24 is not a counting that is approved by God. God did not call for this count. And let me read you this uh, excerpt uh, from this chapter. Okay, and I want to first look at 1 Chronicles 21. And in verse one, it says, "Now Satan stood up, re- realizes Satan stood up against Israel." And move David to number Israel. So David said to Joab and to the leaders of the people, Go, number Israel, from Bathsheba to Dan, and bring the number of them to me that I may know it. And Joab answered, May the Lord make his people a hundred times more than they are. But my lord the king, are they not all my lord's servants? Why then does my lord require this? Why should he be a cause of guilt for Israel? In other words, this is not ordered by God. David was about to commit a sin at the national level. Now, what is interesting is that the same account in 2 Samuel 24 begins very, very differently. And it's almost as though there is a different narrative about the same thing that happened. So look at verse 1. It says in uh, in 2 Samuel 24 verse 1, it says, Again, the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel and He moved David against them to say, Go number Israel and Judah. So the obvious question I want to pose for us first is was God the instigator or was Satan the instigator of this wrong counting? Was the issue, the, was the issue with Israel whereby, whereby God wanted to judge Israel or was it about David that God wanted to deal with something in David's life? So let me clarify this for us so that we are all on the same page. That there must be something firstly that was in Israel that Israel was doing that was displeasing to God. Something was happening in a nation in which God intended to bring a judgment on the nation of Israel. Yet in order to deal with Israel, God Uh, permitted Satan to come against Israel. So I want to show you this diagram. So God, of course, is the, you know, uh, originator. At the end of it, He wants to judge Israel, but He does it by permitting Satan to come against Israel. And He doesn't come straight against Israel, but He uses David. He uses a trigger for the impending judgment by, by rousing and hooking something that was inside David that was not right in God's eyes. So in order for Satan to bring about that judgment, he went to David because there's something wrong. Let me say this. God cannot hook David if there is nothing in David that can be hooked. If there is no issue with numbers in the heart of David, then this thing would not have been able to affect David, right? But what we see here is that David obviously had an issue with numbers and it was a serious problem. He came to a point, David came to a point where he saw Israel not as belonging to God, but belonging as his own. And that's why you can only count what is yours. You don't count what, is some other, what belongs to somebody else, amen? Do you go to, uh, you know, your neighbour, knock on the door and say, hey, can I count how much money you have? You don't, okay? It's not of your business, right? But when David does this, he's saying to, he's saying to God, he says, these people, they are mine. I'm going to count them because they belong to me. You see, something happened in David. He began to see his worth based off uh, the size of his army instead of trusting God. He's counting it because it, it fed something in the ego and in the confidence of David. David began to find confidence in the strength of his army instead of, of his reliance on the Almighty. And this is the problem with David, the crux of David's problem. And this is the crux of the problem for every one of us. Now, let me contextualize this for us. What is it that drives us? Ask yourself this. What is it that drives you? What gets you up in the morning? What gives you security? What makes you feel safe? You know? I mean, if today your bank account runs down to 100 bucks, do you feel safe? Do you feel secure? What are we craving for? What is it that we long for? What is it that will satisfy us? Is it when we are up in a pedestal? Is it when we are in a place of honour? You know, or is it that we, have, we can say, hey, I've done this, I've done that. Is that where our worth comes from? Or does it really just comes from God? Now, exams are just over. PSL is over. I know like most of the secondary school exams are going, uh, are, are done with. I've got two more exams happening in my house. I've got an N-level, uh, you know, um, uh, of course, N-level itself is over, but my boy is doing one O-level subject, so, uh, so he's got one more paper to go. Uh, I got uh, one boy doing A-levels, uh, which is, uh, you know, still uh, a month to, to, to run off. But I want to say this, and I want to talk to this, especially to those of us who are parents here in Cornerstone, and those of you who are going to be parents, right, eventually. You're going to get married, for those of you who are still single and you're going to have uh, kids. And I want to say this, that as, as parents, there's something that we must do. And we must not define our children, nor inculcate in them, that their identity is in their test scores. And I want to say this, I want to talk to us seriously. okay? Because our children are not defined by their test scores. You see, it was one. You think about this, right? Compassion, kindness, maturity, the ability to choose what is right, what is wrong, the, the the values that they have, the integrity. These are things that are really the most important, and you can't put a test score on it, right? And they are the things that last us to eternity. They are the things that we really want our children to have. And you cannot put a test score. And how we emphasize these things will make them into who they become. You see, I've got three boys and I'm a normal person like all of you. As a pastor, I don't have perfect kids. In fact, I'm quite glad that all my kids go to neighborhood schools and all of them didn't have good test scores on their PSLE. Hello? I'm glad. Because when, you know, because when I meet parents, who's got kids who've got straight A's, they no need my comfort on them. They're already very happy, straight A's, right? But when I meet parents and they're struggling with their children, I can say to them, hey, I struggled as well, right? I I got kids who struggle in school as well, right? And so I'm glad that they go through that several, uh, you know, I think a month and a half ago, I met with an official from the government, and you're talking about racial issues, and ask me if there's any racial issues. You know, it feels like you know, is it prevalent? And I said, what racial issues? My kids, you know, their friends are all Malays, they're Indians. You know, it's well well mixed. And they said, to this maybe because your kids go to neighbourhood school. I said, exactly. They said, why well, you send all your kids to the elite school? Send them to neighbourhood school <laughs> <laughs> But my my oldest boy went through a really difficult time when he was thirteen right, and I, I, I got his permission to share this, you know, and at 13, he, he got in the wrong company, he got into a, a, a bicycle gang, okay, so this is a precursor to the motor bicycle gang, okay, because they kind of fought, right, <laughs> and I remember in those days, in, when he was uh, 15, there are nights that he didn't come home, and we would drive around the neighborhood looking for him, can't find him, he would go, you know, steal bicycle parts with his friends, you know. Uh, he was involved in a fight club in school, got caught. He was going to be publicly caned he was going to be retained. I remember that year, Wendy and myself, we got called to school more often than any other year. It was like every two months we were hauled to school, you know. And, and it, was a, it was an ordeal for us. But I'm telling you this, it taught us so much. We stood up for him, we loved him, we prayed him through that process. And by the grace of God, he came through it. And today he's back in church, right? And, you know, I, I went for a run with him about two weeks ago and, you know, I came to the beach, you know, I stopped and I said to him, I said, to him, I said, Aaron, you know, right to, right up to now, your life has always been charted for you. Primary school, secondary school, JC, you know, and army is coming up, you know, two years. I said, at the end of army, there, there's no more charted path for you. There's no more straight, You it's, it's like the ocean you see before you. You have a, a variety of options and I want to keep those options open for you. I said to him, I said, Aaron, at the end of army, if you don't want to go to university, I'm talking fine with it. In fact, I prefer for you not to go to uni. I would like to send you to states. I would like to send you to one of my friends in the US. I got a friend who owns a construction company. Go and learn how to build houses. I said, I got friends who own hotels. Go and make beds in a hotel. Go and be a front desk. Go work for a couple of months or a year or a year and a half, whatever it is. Go find out whom God has made you to be. And then you decide if you still want to go to college, if you still want to go to university. Decide what you want to do after that. You see, I'm saying this to all of us here because we are Christians. We are followers of Jesus. We are not bound to a system that we live in. We got to stop waiting for the government to change the educational system in, in Singapore. We got to stop complaining about it all the time. We have a choice to live differently. We have a choice not to be condemned to a numbering game that this society puts us upon. It's time to liberate our children and to know that God's made them unique, amen. And church, I wanna tell, I want I believe this. I believe transformation is in our hands as the people of God, as the followers of Jesus Christ. And it's not about, you know, changing this, changing that. We change our own lives. We start living in a different way. We start raising our children with right values, with right priorities. And when that happens, it will pervade society. Amen? And it's not just education here, right? I mean, for many of you, you know, I've been quite into my health uh, recently. I, you know, I, I really want to show a photo of myself. I forgot to send it to, uh, you know, to the media team. I mean, and it was taken in... Uh, Uh, just before the circuit breaker in February, I remember I was uh, with my wife and celebrating her birthday. We went for a buffet, the final buffet until COVID hit. It's like two years since we've been to a buffet. And I remember I ate so much. My wife took a photo of me. My stomach was so big, okay, I rested my plate on my stomach. And I, you know, wow, it's such a horrible photo. I'll put it out on Instagram uh, later, okay. So for those of you who are interested, just go and take a look at it, okay. But since then, I've gotten health conscious. I wanted to look after this temple, which is the temple of the Holy Spirit, this body. But you know, even when we become healthy, we are obsessed with numbers. I was obsessed with numbers, right? We end up, you know, looking at a lot of numbers. I looked at the calorie intake each day. I look at my weight every morning at 6 a.m. I measured my waistline. I was measuring my body fat percentage. I was looking at weight pro- uh, I was looking at protein intake and trying to measure how much proteins I take in every day. I'm timing my runs. I'm you know uh, doing going through my workouts, and the list goes on. And I like to say that one of the numbering obsessions of our generation is in our outward looks. I don't know, if you just search it, there's an obsession with how we look on the outside. And I'm telling you this, it's okay for us to look after ourselves and to be healthy, but don't only measure yourself on the outside and overlook the unmeasurable qualities of the inside. Paul said bodily exercise profits a little, a little bit. In other words, if you, you know, I'm saying this to myself, if I'm spending an hour on my workouts a day, then I need to spend way more than an hour on my spiritual workout a day. Amen? You know, I, I see Zitong here and I bump into him and I runs uh, quite often, almost every week, you know? And I want to encourage us because if you start looking after yourself on the inside as well, when you see people around you, you're not just measuring them on the outside, you're looking for the unmeasurable Im- Im- qualities on the inside as well. Now, the other pitfall is when we begin to measure our worth based on our income and we find security based on the quantum of money that's sitting in our bank accounts. You see, prosperity is from God. God wants to bless us, no doubts about it. But if God blesses us, our responsibility is that we must use our wealth for the betterment of others and not just ourselves. Amen? But never let our security and our confidence be in our wealth instead of the one who gave us the wealth. In need or in plenty. We serve the Lord. We're bound to the Lord. Amen. You see, the faithfulness of God is this, that if we, are, we, if we have a numbering error in our lives, God will deal with us. He will not leave us as it is. And that's why He had to deal with David. David was approaching the end of his life and God was going to perfect everything in David's life before David went to meet him in heaven. And that's why God stirred this in David, right? Now, I want to zero in on the judgment that fell on David and Israel because God gave David three choices, right? And I want to talk about those three choices. But before I speak about those three choices, I'm going to take another tangent, okay? And I want to note a few things in this whole account between 2 Samuel 24 and 1 Chronicles 21, okay? And in these two accounts, in the the account in Samuel, we are told this, the census actually took 9 months, 20 days to complete. And in the account in Chronicles, it tells us that Joab excluded the tribe of Levi and the tribe of Benjamin. He didn't count these two tribes, okay? Now, these details are not incidental, they're important. The fact that there is nine months given to take the census means that God gave David a period of time to retract his orders and to repent. But David didn't take it. Nine months is the same amount of time that is required for a mother to gestate her fetus to full term and to give birth to it. You know, God has a timing... A full gestation period for us to repent before He deals with us in judgment. You understand that? And when God begins to put His finger on us, I want to encourage us, don't wait till the baby is born. The Bible says that when desire gives birth to sin, sin takes t- and it gives birth then to Death right? And we don't have to wait those nine months. We can deal with it and respond to God. And the fact that, uh, that uh, Levi and Benjamin was excluded speaks about the fact that God's judgment is not blind. He doesn't just judge everybody. He excluded these two tribes because these two tribes somehow were not guilty in the process of God's judgment that He wants to bring on Israel. Now in 1 Chronicles 21 verse 7 also, it tells us that God was displeased with this thing, this counting thing, and then He struck Israel. Now, it, may, it just makes it clear that David only repented after the judgment on Israel began. It is very sad that David had to see a level of devastation on the people before he came to his senses. Amen? And I pray that we don't have to wait till the judgment of God falls on us, that we come to our senses, but we have an eye to see. And what is most interesting is that the person that God used to bring a correction at the initial stages was a man called Joab. Now, Joab was not a guy who ended well. Joab was bloodthirsty. He was vengeful. He was a thorn in the sight of David. And in the end, he didn't end well. But you see, we don't get to choose whom God sends to bring correction to us. Sometimes God brings unsavory personalities and character into our lives to bring a genuine correction? Do we have eyes and ears to see the correction coming from God and not just the vessel that God is using? And here are some takeaways from us as we consider these two accounts. Now, before I go into those judgments, I want to very quickly give us a few reconciliation of these two passages in 2 Samuel 24, 1 Chronicles 21. Because if you are a good student, if you are diligent, at the end of this service, you'll go back and read these two chapters. And when you read these two chapters, you'll find that, hey, there are some very, very obvious discrepancies between these two uh, accounts. I want to give it to you very quickly, okay? In 2 Samuel 24, when the census came back, it tells us that there are 800,000 valiant men that drew the sword. In 1 Chronicles 21, it tells us the count came back in verse 4, 1.1 million men who drew the sword. So 300,000, that is a huge number discrepancy. As an accountant, I will never leave that number unattended. The, the accounts have to be balanced, okay? So let me balance it for you. David had a standing army of 12 units of 24,000 men, okay? Plus another 12,000 men in Jerusalem and the chariot cities. 800,000 plus the 2880,000, which is 12 times 24,000, plus another 12,000 in Jerusalem gives you exactly 1.1 million. Numbers we consult for you, praise the Lord. No numbering error here. In verse 13 to Samuel 24, it says seven years of famine, but in 1 Chronicles 21 verse 12, it says three years of famine. The reason this is so is because the famine had already started four years before that. And it started in 2 Samuel 21 verse 1, okay? And so the judgment that was being given is, to David is three more years of famine. And that reconciles the difference between seven and three, okay? Uh, in, in, in Samuel, it tells us that it's the threshing floor of Aru- Aruana. And then in Chronicles, it tells us it's the threshing floor of Onan. Arana is another name for Onan. It's actually the same person. In Samuel, it tells us that David bought the threshing floor and oxen for 20 shekels of silver. That's not a lot. It's enough. It's, it, it's, uh, it's an amount, but it's not super substantial. And then in verse 25 of Chronicles 21, it says David gave 600 shekels of gold. for the- Now, that is a lot of money. What's the difference here? 20 shekels of silver is for the threshing floor and the oxen. 600 shekels of gold is for the whole site. David didn't just buy the threshing floor, he bought the whole mountain. You understand that? And that reconciles the difference. Now, let's look at the three judgments, okay? And then I'm going to bring this to a close. I don't have much time left, okay? Three years of famine, three years of defeat in the hands of his enemies, or three days of plague. Now, these judgments are more than just an option for David to choose. What it speaks to us today is this. This is the fallout when we allow a numbering issue in our lives to fester. This is the result. This is the consequence. If you are obsessed with numbers in the wrong way, if you are, if your confidence is not in God, and your confidence is in some kind of a numbering game, then these are the things you can expect in your life. Number one, Three years of famine speaks about barrenness. Now, one of the counter results when we become preoccupied with numbers is that God will literally cut the numbers down and bring barrenness into our lives. And barrenness has an amazing ability to cause us to stop and reflect and because the frustration will drive us to a place that says, Lord, what is wrong? The Bible tells us that there's a woman by the name of Hannah and Hannah wanted to have babies. She wanted to have babies because she's a married woman and it's the dignity of a married woman to bring children for her husband. It's her identity as a wife. It's her identity as a mother in Israel. That's what she wants and drives her identity. And then after that, what begins to drive her is a jealousy and a rivalry against the other wife, Penina, because she was having children and Hannah couldn't. And so there is a wrong thing, there was a wrong motivation and it wasn't until Hannah came to a point where her pursuit brought her to such barrenness and frustration, she became bitter, she became anguished and finally she surrendered her situation to the Lord. She offered her womb to God instead of offering her womb to her husband And and she said to the Lord, Lord, if I have a child, if you give me a child, I will give the child back to you. You see, that's what God actually drives at. Some of us, we drive for success, we drive for numbers because we, it's all about ourselves. But when we finally come to a place and we drive it, it says, Lord, for your glory, God says, okay, now I'll, I will stop the famine. I will, I will, I will end the barrenness and I'll bring fruitfulness into your lives. And the second problem, the second consequence of the numbering issue is defeat, okay? Three months of defeat. You see, when Numbers is our pursuit, God's faithfulness is such that He will allow defeat to come into our lives. Now, our Christian walk isn't meant to be defeated. It is meant to be victorious, but victory in a Christian life looks different from victory in the world. Victory in the world means that you're vindicated, you're exalted, you know, you thumb everybody else down. But victory in the kingdom of God doesn't look like that. Victory in the kingdom of God is when we triumph through attitude, through meekness, through gentleness, through kindness, through love. When God gets the glory, when the kingdom of God is established, when righteousness is exalted, that's what victory looks like. Amen. And the thing is this, you see, when we are obsessed with numbers, there is no way that we can bring a taste of heaven on this earth. Our witness becomes weak. We become salt that has lost its flavor. We become light that can no longer shine. And our lives become defeated. We're not able to to, to do what God calls us to do, right? Because we're obsessed for the wrong things. We're pursuing something for ourselves instead of pursuing for God. And finally, the third thing is that three days of plague, which is disease. Our walk with God becomes disease. The voice of God is silent. We read our Bible and nothing comes out of it. We spend time with God and the heavens are as brass. You see, there are seasons where God brings us through a wilderness in order to sink our roots deeper. But there are seasons where we go through this and it's not appointed by God. It's because something wrong in the numbering of our lives. We become obsessed with numbers and God wouldn't have it. God will not stand for that. You know, because we end up pursuing those things. You see, when, when we have an obsession with numbers, what it does is that instead of rest, instead of peace, you know, instead of shalom, we, there is a competitiveness that comes to us. There's a striving, there's a drive that is not appointed by God. And those things affect us, body, soul, spirit. Literally, I promise you, physically you start falling sick because you can't sleep in peace at night. You're always striving. You're always paddling. There is no rest. God says this in His Word. He says, I'll give you increase and I add no sorrow to it. But the problem is when numbers is our problem, then there will always be sorrow added to us. And that sorrow will affect us physically. That sorrow will affect us spiritually. And something in our walk with God becomes diseased. Amen. Church, I want to leave this with us because I really believe that, hey, we have a numbering issue. All of us. We have a numbering problem. And it will show up in different places, in different ways, perhaps in the stress that we feel and we place on our children, right? Perhaps in, you know, our work, in our drive, perhaps in the source of our satisfaction, these things happen. And when it happens, it's God's faithfulness showing up and telling us, hey, deal with the numbering problem, right? Deal with the numbering problem. Let's all stand, shall we? I want to bring this to a close. I want to pray for all of us, amen. I want us to be set free from numbers, amen. I want our lives to count so that in heaven's record, God will record. So and so live to this age. They produced children, they became fruitful, fulfilled God's call in their lives and then they lived how much longer? I mean, the biblical account is, is absolutely beautiful in its description of what a life lived for God looks like, how it counts, how it matters, how heaven sees it. And we need to glean that, we need to understand that. Father, we come to you as your children, Lord. We thank you that thy faithfulness is such that you'll never leave us the way it is, but you're faithful to deal with us, to speak with us. Father, I pray, Lord, in the preaching of your Word today, Lord, that you'll speak to many of us, Lord. I say, say, oh God, Lord, especially when it comes to raising our children that we would start living differently, we'll start doing differently, we'll love our kids because the one Lord who graduates from ITE is nowhere lesser than the one who graduates from Oxford University. The potential of that one is as high as the one who went out and came out from Oxford University. Father, change Lord the way we think Lord because I'm telling you that we need to be delivered, oh God, in our minds to how this thinking is, oh God. Because we've been so geared and compressed by the world and forced into that pattern of thinking, oh God. Father, we pray, oh God, change the way we think. Change the way we think, Lord. Change the, every person, every soul, precious, Lord, fearfully and wonderfully created and moulded and formed by you for a purpose, for your glory, oh God. Father, help us, Lord, change the way we think, Lord. Lord, that when Your light, in Thy light we see light, Lord. It is when Your Word comes and shines His light that something breaks in our. I pray right now over every single one of us. If there are strongholds in our mind that bind us in this numbering game, oh God, break it right now in Jesus' name. Break it right now in Jesus' name. Break it right now in Jesus' name, oh God. Set us free, oh God. Set us free, oh God. Father, we bless You, we give You praise, we thank You that when You see us, Lord, that you love us with an everlasting love. Lord, you see the value of eternity within us. You see the blood of Jesus Christ, Lord, that covers every single one of us. And we love you for that. We love you for all that you've done for us, Lord. We bless you. We give you praise. And now I speak your blessings over your church, over my brothers and my sisters, the blessings of God the Father, the blessings of God the Son, and the blessings of God the Holy Spirit be with you and abide with you now and forevermore. And everybody say, Amen. 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 Come on, let's give the Lord a clap often, shall we?